Thank you, David. <clears throat> Please take your seats. So who knows what's special about today in history? Veterans Day, it's, it's right, the end of the Great War, the 100th anniversary of the end of the Great War. So the first thing we wanna do today is to honor any veterans or active military we have here today in the room. So could those please stand, any veterans we have or active military? Thank you so much for your service. So um, in kind of in, in light of Veterans Day, I thought I'd share a little story about my week this week, because I, I had a special event happen. So um, as some of you know, I work for a company that produces uh, technology for the military and homeland security. So I got the honor this week of traveling to Tucson, where I met a, um, I was able to visit a border patrol station in Tucson. So we were gonna go check out the technology that we've installed there. So my first impression when I come to this place is how big it is and how many people there are filled with cars, border patrol station cars and people. I walk in the building, and there's so many people and it's a little intimidating because they all have guns. I didn't think about that. So we go into this control center and we're watching and they have all these computer monitors, you know, guarding the, the border in this Tucson sector. So this border patrol uh, agents, they love this system because they used to just have to drive around to try to find people coming across the border. Now they have the technology where they have cameras and sensors and they're sitting in a safe place while they're watching for, for people coming across the border. So we walk in the room and they're, they're working a, a situation right then. There's two people, you can see little tiny people in the, in the IR cameras, you can see the heat signatures that are walking and then we see the helicopter come in from above. So it's pretty, pretty exciting to see them. So we, and the technology was pretty cool. But what was more impactful was visiting with these agents and these National Guard agents, uh, men and women that were there because they believe in their mission. You know, forget all the politics we hear. Their, their, their mission there is to protect us and they're very proud of that mission. And that was very impactful for me to meet them. And then what was interesting was we're there for 20, 25 minutes. Four more incidents happened in those 25 minutes. Four more groups of people just in the Tucson sector. So we, t we tell the supervisor, wow, we're so lucky that we were here, you know, so we could see the system being used. He said, it's like this all day, every day. So I just thought I'd share that story with you. I was so impressed with the men and women that were uh, serving out there on mission. And um, <clears throat> that's kind of the theme of my talk today is Jesus's mission is our mission. And uh, in kind of in lieu of Veterans Day. I'm so grateful for this church that allows us to, to teach directly out of the Bible. Um, unlike other churches, I love how we're going through the book of Luke and we get to hear exactly you know, how Jesus spoke, and we get to see a picture of him while he was here on earth. So in the past weeks, we've met quite a few characters in Luke. You know, the Good Samaritan, a man who lost a coin, a woman who lost, uh, I mean, a man who lost a sheep, a woman who lost a coin, the prodigal son, the unrighteous steward, the rich man and, and Lazarus, the 10 lepers, 
the praying Pharisee and tax collectors, the rich young ruler, and then last week, the blind beggar. So this week, we're going to meet the character Zacchaeus. This, is, this story only appears in the book of Luke, and, uh, it, but it continues to emphasize how we are all lost and, how the, and the importance of money, because Luke talks a lot about money. Many of you have heard this story as a child when I was uh, teaching this at the 9 a.m. Everybody was singing the Wee Little Man song, which I don't know the song because I, was, I wasn't a Christian as a child. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, as we look at this scripture today, we'll, we'll see there'll be more we can learn to apply to our lives. Um, the, the, the thing, uh, the most important verse in, in Luke 19, 1 to 10 is verse 10. Because verse 10 is, um, says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This verse explains Jesus' mission. Um, and, it's, so it's, and it's our mission as well. So um, let's get started. Let's look at verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. So Jericho, at the time at the time of Jesus, was a flourishing oasis. It was kind of a vacation spot for people. So it was only about 18 miles from Jerusalem. Um, well, but it was, a, it was still a long walk. He had about six hours left to get to Jerusalem. So, but, but, but Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. So this is an uphill walk he has to the, the rest of the way to Jerusalem. Also remember that this road he's going to walk on to Jerusalem is the same road in the good story of the Good Samaritan. So it's somewhat of a dangerous road ahead of him. So he's near the end of his journey, um, and he's reached the, pop, the height of his popularity. He just healed the blind man. He's got crowds all around him. He's coming into Jericho, and it's, he's being mobbed by the crowds. He's so popular. He's been on his way to Jerusalem since chapter 9, so all these events. We heard last week, Jesus is on his way to die. Luke 18:31 says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and all things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. Keep this verse in mind as we go through the story today. Jesus knows what he's walking into in Jerusalem. It isn't pretty. He knows, but he's still stopping and helping the unloved. Jesus is on a mission. So let's look at verse 2 through 4. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable, unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Once again, Jesus is dealing with a wealthy man. But, but this isn't the same as the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was trying to keep the law. This is Zacchaeus isn't trying to keep the law. He's a tax collector. He's a tax collector for the Romans. The name Zacchaeus is an abbreviation for Zechariah, which means the unrighteous one or the pure one. Hardly an accurate name for this scoundrel. Tax collectors were notorious for cheating the people. 
they would assess a tax, and if the person didn't pay, he'd get the Roman soldiers to enforce it. And they could keep anything they, 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 they raised beyond the tax the Romans required. So this guy was powerful, uh, and he employed tax collectors under him. So he's, a powerful, uh, he's in a powerful position, and his fraudulent activities made him rich. The people of Jericho, they would have both feared him because he had power over them with the taxes, and they would have hated him. They, they see him as a crook and a traitor, a spy for the Romans who was taking their money to give to the Roman oppressors. But in light of this hatred of the tax collectors, we find every time in Luke that the, the tax collectors are spoke about in a favorable way. We see it in chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 7, 15, 18, and now in 19. And we know that Jesus picked Matthew as a tax collector as one of his apostles. So Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through the town. He's determined to see him. He runs up ahead where he knows Jesus will pass. He finds a tree and climbs into it. Really? This rich, powerful man climbing a tree like a child? Why would he do that? We don't know what motivated him. Most commentators think he was just curious. He certainly didn't care what people thought about him to climb in a tree. And perhaps he heard this teacher has chosen a tax collector as one of his apostles. Or maybe he heard he likes to hang out with sinners. Or maybe he's feeling guilty and he's, he's feeling, having some hope that maybe his, his sins would be forgiven. Whatever made him fight the crowds that day, climb into that tree, it was not because Zacchaeus was first seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. The Bible plainly declares this in Romans 9, or 3, 10, and 11. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. And Jesus plainly taught, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So if Zacchaeus was in that tree to seek Jesus, it was because the Father was drawing him there. Now let's look at verse 5 to 6. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. I'm always fascinated when I read this. Jesus had healed the blind beggar just outside Jericho. He's walking through town, mobbed by townspeople. But all of a sudden, he does the unexpected again. He stops, just like last week. We know he, <clears throat> he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. Does he know he's going to find Zacchaeus in the tree that day? I think it's possible. He, he knows that. I wouldn't surprise me. But all more remarkable, he calls Zacchaeus by his name. Does he know Zacchaeus' name ahead of time? Did someone tell him? Or do you think it was his divine power that he knew his name? Jesus knew the importance of a name. He said that he calls his sheep by name. John 10.3 says, To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So he calls out Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. Jesus is not content to make an appointment for later. Now is the time. Jesus says he must come to dinner. Now, hurry. We might think this is presumptuous and rude to invite yourself to dinner. But Zacchaeus is overjoyed. He's an outcast. 
disliked by the community, and here he has an opportunity to host one of the most famous men in the country. Of course he's happy. He scrambles down the tree and welcomes Jesus. We don't know how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name for sure, but out of all the people in that big crowd, the Savior zeroed in on this one little man. There were probably some boys up in the trees and other trees around there too, but he, he zeroed in on this one man. On, we know of several other occasions when people invited Jesus to dinner at their house, but this is the only recorded occasion where Jesus invited himself. He was going after Zacchaeus personally. Jesus is on a mission. And then in verse 7, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves you, whether or not others approve? Perhaps these people are jealous that, they honor Je- that the honor of Jesus' presence goes to such an unworthy person. More likely, they're just disappointed in Jesus that he's hanging out with this Zacchaeus. Once again, Jesus, by his own example, is teaching his disciples, he's, and he's condemning the Pharisees. Again, he publicly associates himself with those considering to be the worst in society. He does the unexpected. He's destroying religion and ushering in a relationship with God. Jesus was bold. He didn't care what others thought. And now we see Zacchaeus' response. Zacchaeus stopped in verse 8 and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, all of my possessions I'll give to the poor. Half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Remember the rich young ruler and how much trouble he had giving up his possessions? Not Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' faith is not mentioned, but it's evident by his repentance. We don't know what Jesus and Zacchaeus talked about at dinner that day. It'd be interesting to know, but the fruit of it is evident. Zacchaeus announces, probably in front of the crowd, that he's giving half of his possessions to the poor, and he's repaying those of whom he has defrauded four times. The law only required you to add 20% when you cheated somebody. So he's going to an extreme here. Zacchaeus cheerfully offers to do far more than the law demands. That's remarkable considering the way he made his money. It's, one, it's a wonderfully refreshing to see such repentance by this man who realized that his life must change. Zacchaeus may no longer be rich anymore after giving away all this money. It's, you know, one of the truest tests of our genuine repentance is when God gets a hold of our money. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus declares Zacchaeus as saved. And now Jesus moves to reconcile Zacchaeus with the community. They view tax collectors as the worst, right? They banish them from the synagogues. They disown them as Jews. The priest of Jericho had probably asked Zacchaeus to give to the poor in the past, but now in Jesus' presence, he does it joyfully. It's because love motivates, love motivates as far greater than legalism, guilt, or manipulation can ever do. Jesus reaffirms that Zacchaeus is indeed a Jew, a son of Abraham. This is a direct statement to the man's neighbors to welcome and accept him. From the outset of Luke's gospel, Jesus sides with those on the margin, 
those considered down and out, those not accounted as much in the eyes of the world. While Zacchaeus is rich, he's nevertheless despised by his neighbors, counted as nothing, even worse than nothing. Yet Jesus singles him out. By seeing him, calling him, staying with him and blessing him, Jesus declares him a child of God. And now to Jesus' mission, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save which was lost. This is the same mission Jesus has repeated in Luke 4, 18 to 21, and Matthew 18, 11. When Jesus says in our text, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost, he was referring to the fact that the second person of the Trinity had taken on human flesh and had come to this earth to offer himself in place of sinners. He took our penalty on the cross and on himself so, he, so that we could be saved from the penalty we deserve. God would not have taken such extreme measures if lost people could save themselves. So everyone is lost. and They must be sought and found. So verse 10 contains Jesus' mission. If you're a disciple of Jesus here today, then you should want to know his mission and imitate him. There's a little glory about this kind of work. It involves working with slimy people who've committed horrible sins and whose lives may be miserable. These people could be in our churches, our neighborhoods, our school, our work place. These people need our willingness to love them rather than judge them, our willingness to go out of our way to extend ourselves in love. If you aren't a disciple today, if you're seeking Jesus, then understand his mission is critical to know him because his mission is about you. He came for you. You just need to realize you're lost. So this story is, is about the conversion of Zacchaeus. It serves as evidence of the amazing possibilities present, present in Jesus' presence. Once again, Jesus does the unexpected. And much about this story seems impossible. That a chief tax collector would want to see Jesus doesn't make sense. That a chief tax collector would climb up a tree like a small boy. That Jesus would single out this man among the crowds. That Jesus would stay in the home, in his home. The Zacchaeus would give away his riches. The Zacchaeus would go far beyond what was required in generosity. And that a rich man would be saved after Jesus just had said it was impossible. Earlier in Luke 18, 27, Jesus declared that what is impossible for people is nevertheless possible for God. Zacchaeus is one more example of the unexpected and unlimited possibilities that Jesus embodies and manifests. Jesus is relentlessly seeking and saving one lost person after another. We've seen it throughout Luke. And you and I are his assistants, his disciples, his co-workers. His mission is our mission. His joy is our joy when others find him as we found him. Now for us disciples here today, I wanna to look at some practical applications from this story and how we can, how we can uh, work with Jesus on his mission. The first one is as disciples of Jesus, we must no longer be enamored with money. Obviously that's what this story is talking about. Isabel talked a lot about money two weeks ago, so I'm not going to talk much about that. But this story is obviously teaching us about what happens to disciples and their money. We must love God above everything. Nothing else compares, not even money. 
Number two, we, must, we disciples must not be, very, be overly concerned about tarnishing our reputations. Jesus didn't care what others thought of him. I think this is a big one in our culture. Are we really willing to associate with the ungodly? Yes, we are to be wise and discreet and avoid the appearance of evil, but we must not be more concerned about ourselves than we are for the lost. When the simple commands, love your neighbor, welcome strangers, do justice, love enemies, when those become complicated, we're in Pharisee territory, not the wide open fields of Jesus. Jesus did not live in self-protecting fear, but self-giving hope and love. Number three, our ministry to others may require a boldness. Jesus was bold to invite himself to Zacchaeus' house. This boldness may call us to do the unexpected, just like Jesus did over and over again. We should consider how we can be more bold in loving those ungodly around us. Number four, God can give us both natural and supernatural insights into people so that we might help them. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He will advise you on who you should reach out to. Pray each week for God to speak to you. Tell him you want, you're, wit, you're wanting to love others and need his help. There may be a person you keep seeing at school, at work, or in your neighborhood. You know you're supposed to do something. That could be God prompting you to show some love and acceptance and eventually the gospel. Number five, no one is beyond redemption and repentance, even those whom we see as horrible sinners. This may be hard, but Zacchaeus was hated, and our Lord Jesus accepted him. Does our cynicism about people keep us from loving them? Instead of gossiping and whispering about the ungodly, see them as Jesus does. The Holy Spirit who lives in you will help you love them in the same way. It's better to love and help someone on their journey to faith than to ignore them. Number six, our mission is active, not passive. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He actively sought out Zacchaeus. Think about it. He's getting close to Jerusalem where he knows he will suffer. But he takes the time to seek out Zacchaeus. I get so consumed sometimes with things in my life that I sometimes forget others. We should do the same as Jesus, look for opportunities. There's a man in this church that I've come to know this last year who's a great example of being in mission in an active way. You, many of you know him. His name is Glenn McNeil. He's not here today. He's out visiting family. But what, what's, what's interesting about and unique about Glenn is he rides the train downtown every day to work. And... He's active in mission on that train. So he comes to our life group every couple of weeks. I look so forward to the life group to hear his stories of how he's reached out to people on the train, on the train platform. He's got four or five stories going with us now. He updates us on the relationships he's building with these people on the train. He's really investing in one family, um, actually doing things for them. Uh, it's just such selfless love. It's amazing. And so... He really inspired me. And so a couple of months ago, I'm thinking, well, what can I do? I don't, I don't ride the train. I fly on airplanes a lot, but, you know, people put on their headphones and they don't want, you know, you don't, don't want to disturb them. And so I had an idea, Uber. 
I'm, I'm in Uber cars every couple of weeks. And so the, what's great about Uber drivers is they get judged on how well they talk to you. So I've been trying to talk to these Uber drivers, and I have one story. Um, I landed in Washington, D.C. It was around midnight, and most of the Uber drivers I've had around, especially around Dallas, really clean cut, nice cars, everything. Well, this one was a little scary. (laughs) And it was midnight, and the music was scary. He had on, and he was kind of scary looking. Very different from me, right? So... But we started talking, and you know, he started asking where I was from. I said, Dallas. Well, he has a son living with his girlfriend in Dallas that he's broken over, that he can't see his son. And so, obviously, from there, the conversation went very deep. And we felt a very strong connection as we were sharing uh, about our lives in that car. And I wish almost the drive was longer, but I got to my son's house, and had to get out, but anyway, that's, that's an example. Um, maybe there's some examples in your life where you can you know, st- start those conversations with people that aren't like you. Um, during the nine o'clock, Lucy had an r- excellent idea, just co- talking to people by name when you meet them, just learning their name and then using their name in the conversation is very powerful, just like Zacchaeus, like Jesus uses Zacchaeus' name. And number seven, the last one, is love is the key. It changes people. Luke 6, 32, 33 says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Zacchaeus was changed by Jesus' love, his acceptance and of him. Acceptance and openness was Jesus' method and must be ours too. Is there someone in your life that needs your acceptance and love? Love is everything. Let us pray.